You are listening to the CMC Podcast. Join us each week for messages designed to equip, inspire, and motivate. And now for today's message from Student Pastor Josh Barnett. All right, open to Romans chapter 5. We'll get started. (laughs) We're in a Roman series right now. And uh, if you've missed, this is week 7, I believe. If you've missed the first six weeks, it's okay because uh, tonight you get really, 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 really good news. So um, the first three chapters were really bad news, and then four was pretty good. And I'm going to try to get through five without crying, but I'm not making any promises because um, woo, this one is, uh, <laughs> is rich. Um, but up, up to this point, we have, we've discussed our need for salvation and, and how we obtain salvation or how God saves us, really, and how we're justified by grace alone through faith. We've talked about all those things. Um, and here in chapter 5, uh, the Apostle Paul is going to begin to explain the benefits of salvation. So we've talked about how we become justified. Now we're going to talk about, okay, what's the fruit of justification? Because God just didn't save you for nothing. He saved you for something. And, it, and the example that I used last week is that he didn't... Um, he didn't just settle your debt. If you imagine your sin and the place that you've gotten yourself to, he didn't settle your debt at zero. He also put a deposit into the account, which is, we, we were in a place where we were, we were infinitely at a low place that we could never get out of. And a lot of people think that he just, well, he just saved me from that. But no, he actually made a, an infinite deposit into your account because we now have access to the kingdom. Amen? That's a good point, Josh. <laughs> So uh, tonight we're going to cover verses, hopefully, we're going to cover verses 1 through 11. Now, last week I made it through 25 verses in chapter 4, which is a miracle for me. So we were, we were rolling last week, but, uh, but this week um, I'm praying that I get past verse 5 and that we actually get all the way <laughs> to verse 11. Um, but let's split this into two parts. Let's read verse 1 through 5 and then we'll discuss that and we're finished with that part. We'll go 6 through 11 and discuss that and end. So Romans chapter 5, let's read in verse 1. I'm, li- I'm reading from the New Living Translation. It says, therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand. And we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials for we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment for we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. Woo! Just say amen and close up shop right there. That's good. But I, man, verse one right here, verse one, he, he, he goes into, therefore, he just used the example of Abraham talking about our justification by faith. And then he goes into just kind of a recap in verse one. He starts with our justification. Therefore, we have been made right in God's sight by our faith. I love what the Passion Translation says. It says, our faith in Jesus transfers God's righteousness to us and he now declares us flawless in his eyes. Woo! We have been imputed with the righteousness of Christ. And that's how God sees us, flawless forever 
by his grace alone, nothing that we could have done. All we had to do was have faith to believe in it. And we now have that righteousness on us forever. And so, you know, you think, well, that's awesome. But what does that mean? (laughs) What what does that mean for my life now? And that's what Paul's going to go into, the fruits of justification. Yes, we've been saved from wrath. We've been saved from his justice. We've been saved from hell. We've been, thank God, I've been saved from myself. We've been saved from darkness, but we've been saved for something. And so Paul is going to here give us the, uh, what I'm going to give you tonight, which you could play that, these out even more, but I'm going to give you five fruits of justification or five fruits of salvation. And number one is found there in verse one is we have peace with God. Number one is we have peace with God. If you're taking notes, sometimes it's hard to take notes with me because I just roll, but I actually got some points for you to write down tonight. So those of you, my melancholies in the room. You're going to love it. You can keep it organized. Number one, we have peace with God. Our justification made a way for us to have peace with him. Now, this, this is not the fruit of the spirit peace. This is not peace from God that we have. This is we have peace with God. That with is important there. We have peace with God. Because our holy God could not have relationship with a sinner. He is so holy we could not come into his presence because of the sin that we were trapped in. He wanted to, but he couldn't. He wanted to, but he couldn't. And it wasn't fault of his. It was our faults. We put ourselves in that place. We were guilty because of our sin, but now we have been declared innocent. Colossians 1.22, God says that we are blameless, flawless in his eyes. So we now, because of that, because of the righteousness, we now can enjoy peace with him. Now, it wasn't that he was hostile towards us. We were the hostile ones towards him. We had hostility in our hearts towards him. One of my favorite quotes uh, by Mike Bickle, Pastor IHOP, he says, all of God's judgments are aimed at whatever interferes with his love. It was the sin that had us trapped that God came to judge in his goodness. It was the sin that he came to judge. He who knew no sin became sin so that you and I could have the righteousness of Christ. So what did God pour his wrath out on the cross? Sin. His wrath was poured out on sin. It was never meant to be poured out on you. He loves you. Second Corinthians, Second uh, Peter 3.18. It's not God's will that any should perish. His judgment was always for the things that sought to destroy you. And, and, you know, I've never seen anybody lay their life down for someone that they hated. And I think many times we think that, like, God hated us until Jesus came. But it says, for God so loved the world that he sent Jesus. Not for, so God was, he was so mad at you that he sent his son. It's not what it says. But sometimes we read it that way. <laughs> <clears throat> But the enmity between us was our cause, it wasn't his. There was a battle between he and I, but it was, it was me declaring war on him. But now, that, now it's over. He won the battle between us that I started, and what did he win it with? He won it with his great love. He won it with his blood on the cross, and he won me over. The blood of Christ is the most powerful weapon in the universe, and that's how he won the battle between you and I, by shedding his blood for us on the cross. Wow. It's not God loves us because Christ died. 
It's Christ died because God loves us. It's not God sent his son so that he could love us again. It's that he so loved us that he sent his son. But what's awesome about this peace, so this peace that I have with God, this this peace that now that this enmity is canceled between he and I, um, it's so much more than that. Because you can have peace with enemies. You can have peace with enemies. You can have peace with people that you don't like, right? There can be a ceasefire. <laughs> but this isn't, this isn't a ceasefire. This is friendship. No longer are we enemies, but we are now friends. We now have loving kindness. We are not acquaintances with God. We are now friends with God. Good friends. Deep friends. James 2.23 says that Abraham was called a friend of God. In John 15, verses 13 through 15, Jesus is explaining to his disciples, I I no longer call you servants, I now call you friends. And we're not just friends, we're children. We're his children. We've been adopted into his family. He now sees us as his sons and daughters. Ephesians 2.14 says that Christ himself brought this peace to us. Colossians 1.20 says God made peace with everything by the means of Christ's blood. Verse 21 says this includes you. You were enemies separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. See, it's us. We're the ones that separated ourselves from him. So Christ, uh, God made peace by the means of Christ's blood which include, he made peace with everything is what it says. And that includes us who were enemies, who were separated from him because of our evil thoughts and actions. And all of this was done by the cross. All of this was done by the blood of Jesus. Nothing that we did. He won us over with his love. Number two, number one was peace. Number two, we now have access to his grace. Access to his grace. Grace is God's marvelous kindness. It's his unmerited favor, his unmerited blessing, his unmerited goodness. And he lavishes it on us simply because we put our faith in his son. So it's through Jesus that we have access to this great grace. He owes me, he owes us nothing But because he loves us so so much, he acts out of his nature of love. It's not based on me. It's not based on my merit. It's not based on my good works. It's based on his grace. He's not responding because of how good I'm doing. He's responding out of his own nature. And this grace that we have access to, so we have access to his grace. What does that mean? Okay, so we have access to this grace. What this grace is, it is the power to overcome our sin. Grace doesn't mean that we now get to do whatever we want and get away with it. Grace is not a license to sin. Grace is the, and we'll get this when we get into the next chapter. Romans chapter 6 really plays this out for us. But Romans chapter 6, specifically verse 14, talks about how grace empowers us to now overcome our sin. That's what, that's what grace does. It, God's grace is actually power that he lavishes on us. Why? Because if grace is, I don't get that. God's, if it's his goodness, if it's his kindness, how does that give me power to overcome sin? Because when we really understand the kindness and the goodness that we have access to, guess what it does? It draws us away from the sin that we want to commit. 
And so when I realize I have access to that grace and I realize how amazing that he is, and even if I did sin, that he would still see me the same way? What? That doesn't make sense. That causes me to want to go towards him, not away from him. What, what, would, what would cause me to shrink back in fear and is, is realizing like, if I did that, he's going to be angry at me. So I'm going to walk this really fine line. I'm going to try to not to fall. I'm going to try not to stumble the whole time. And then oh, when I didn't stumble, oh man, he's mad at me. So I'm going to continue doing that thing because I've already separated myself from him. But he's still coming after you because nothing that you can do can separate you from the love of God. We stand in this grace. It's not just a, uh, that's what it says in, in, in Romans 5 here, that we stand in this grace. So it's not just a moment of grace. It is a description of our present standing. So right now, we're in grace. Forever, we will continue to stand in grace. It's not like this moment of salvation begins with grace and then it's like, now it's time to get to work. <laughs> no, it's I'm always in this grace. And I can't get out of it. I can't work for it. I can't do anything to step out of it. I'm always in this grace. I'm, let me help you out. You're saved. Like you're, like stop doubting your salvation. Like you're saved. It's not as fickle as you think it is. You are saved. <laughs> we don't go back to the law. I read it last week in, in Galatians where, where Paul says, if you go back to the law, like then, the, then the, the cross of Christ means nothing to you because he did it. Just stand in my grace. And guess, and like stop worrying so much about behavior modification because if you'll stand in that grace and that goodness, guess what takes care of itself? Behavior. And standing in that grace, it's, that's like the, it, it's the assurance of God's present attitude towards us. And that's, an, you know, that's important to know. That's important to know. How do we, how do you fight spiritual warfare? Like, how, how do you do spiritual warfare? You sit with God. Why? Because he says in Psalms, you make a table for me in the presence of my enemies. So he prepares a feast for us in the presence of our enemies. And so what do you do? You sit at the table while he takes care of your enemies. So you, you sit with him. Well, I don't want to sit at the table with, some, with someone who I think is angry with me. One thing that Sarah and I try to do when we sit down at dinner at night with our kids is we, we, try, not, we, we try not to make dinner like where we get onto them or we talk about or we, we do discipline and correction. We, we try not to do that at dinner. We try to make dinner like a time that they look forward to. Where they, where they sit and they enjoy. And we always, we always ask them, like, we always ask them, what's your favorite part of today? That's what we always ask them. We, always, we talk about good things. We talk about amazing things because we want them to look forward to table time. We want them to look forward to sitting with us. Because I, as a child, I did not enjoy sitting next to my dad at dinner. It wasn't an enjoyable time for me. You sit with the father, your heavenly father, you sit with him, it's always an enjoyable time. Why? Because he's always kind. He's always good. He's always got blessing for you. He's always got love for you. Always. I'm, and I'm, I'm standing in that. And somebody needs to hear this tonight. It's like that God doesn't just love you, he likes you. 
right? You ever, you ever hear people say that? Like, I love that person, but man, I don't really like them. I know I'm supposed to love them because love your neighbor as yourself, but man, I don't like them. And probably because you don't like yourself, but that's another sermon. We'll talk about that later. Sorry, that was mean. <laughs> but God doesn't, he doesn't just love you. He likes you. He likes to be around you. He, he likes your quirks that nobody else does. He likes, the, he likes the weirdness about you that everybody else thinks you're weird because you do that or you brush your teeth a certain way or you wear your hair a certain way or you do whatever and everybody thinks like, whoa, what a weirdo. God likes it. He likes you. He likes your personality. He likes who you are. He's crazy about you. Standing in grace means I don't have to prove I'm worthy to God. Standing in grace means that he's my friend. Standing in grace means the door's always open. Standing in grace means I'm free. Standing in grace means that Jesus has settled the account. Standing in grace means I don't have to earn anything from him. Oh, we gotta move on. Y'all are holding me up. Number three. Number one was peace. Number two is access to grace. Number three is joy. Number three is joy. And I think joy is just a byproduct of realizing that you are standing in grace. Because <laughs> we respond to his grace with joy. When you get a revelation of how good he is and how kind he is and how graceful he is, you tap into what true happiness is. And it's not circumstantial. It's there. It's always there. Paul and Silas in prison, in chains, singing praises to God. Their joy wasn't circumstantial. Watched a video one time of of martyrs in China, maybe China, I think this is China, but they were, I think this was back like in the, in the seventies or eighties, but they had them, uh, they had them chained up like, um, feet, uh, the, like the, my feet would be chained to somebody else's hands and they had them laid out on the road and they rolled over them from foot to head with a steamroller. Do you know what they were doing the whole time till their last breath? Singing joyful praises to the Lord. wasn't circumstantial. They had a revelation of how good God was. And I believe in those dark moments, the Holy Spirit comes and reminds them how good it's about to be. Like you're, you're about to be before your father in heaven. Come on. I know that's hard to hear, but I know that's, you know, kind of graphic. Didn't even have that in my notes. I'm sorry. That just came out of nowhere. But we, we become full of joy. And, and nothing should be able to take that joy from you. And, and, and listen, if your joy has been taken, it might be because you've slipped into religion. It might be because you've slipped into obeying the law and not having relationship with him. If you don't, burn with more joy and more love for him now than you did five years ago, you've slipped into religion. This relationship should get better. He gets better and better and better and better and better. Me and my wife, in a month from yesterday, we'll have been married for 10 years. August 14th, married for 10 years. Man, it's way better now than it was when we first got married. It's only gotten better and better and better and better and better every year. Why? Because we've pursued each other. Your relationship with God will get better when you go after him, 
when you pursue him because he's not going to force himself upon you. In James 4, 8, it says that if you draw near to him, he draws near to you. Maybe, maybe you've lost your first love. And, and that's why I think it's so important to go back to that first moment with God. Go back to those first moments. Go back to those incredible moments and encounters you've had with the Lord. I remember when he first encountered me with his great love. I remember at 11 years old when he encountered me with his great love. And I remember at 19 years old when he encountered me with his love that completely transformed my life. But don't just revisit those first moments that definitely stir something up on the inside of you. Seek to create new moments with him. Like you go after him and he will, he, <laughs> there will be more moments, I promise you. The, the, the salvation moment, the, the, the weeping, the repenting, the moment that takes place, and I'm sure most of us have had that kind of moment where we came to the end of ourselves and we're like, when we cried out to the Lord, that, it's not supposed to stop at that moment. That's supposed to launch you into him, into this wild, crazy adventure, this wild, crazy relationship with the Lord. It's not like, all right, glad you had that moment. Get ready for life to suck. That's not how it works. That's not how it works. And if you hear otherwise, it's religion talking to you. (laughs) Don't don't let religion ruin you. Don't let it tame you. And if you've been tamed, come on, like light that fire again. Revelations 2, the church of Ephesus was awesome, except they lost their first love. Jesus says, you don't burn for me to the degree in which you burned for me at the beginning. And he says, if you don't light it back up, I'm going to put out your lamp. Jesus said it, not me, so it seems kind of harsh. (laughs) The thing that I'm afraid of the most is that I won't be burning at 40 more than I'm burning now. Like, I'm afraid that 10 years from now that his hand won't be as heavy on me as it is now. Like, that's my fear. That's what I constantly keep in front of me is like, Lord, I want more of you. I want to get closer. I want more. I want more. I want more. And I'm going after him, and I'm pressing into the secret place to get more of him because he's so good. And it's simple. If you've lost your joy, just get close to him again. If you've lost your joy, it's not because he's inconsistent. It's because you are. And that's one thing that we've got to understand. He is not unfaithful. We are unfaithful. And if you've lost your joy, get back in the secret place. Because you'll find it again. Because you'll find him. And, 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 he, and Paul goes on to say, like, we are now able to respond to the problems and trials of this life with what? With joy. Problems and trials with joy? Like, Paul, what are you talking about? Like, that's craziness. But no, we get to now respond to those things. Like, he says, with joy, you get to go through problems and trials now. Why? Because your, your salvation, your justification It doesn't cause trials and problems to go away. It just fixes your perspective. See, repentance is all about changing the way that you think. And so we have to change the way that we view our problems and our trials. We now have the power to change the way that we respond to them. 
Paul is saying, yes, you will have them, but what's in this trial for us? Glory. Glory's in this trial for us. How? Because trials and problems cause you to do what? Grow. Mature. Be transformed from glory to glory. If you look at them the right way. Or they can take you out and you can give up. And you could say, God, I thought you were just going to fix everything around me. Nope. He's actually called you to do that, but, you know. And what do problems and trials do? They cause you to lean into him. The fountain of joy. And, and I, don't, I don't necessarily think that Paul's talking about like minor inconveniences. Like I think he's talking about like real, like big trouble. Like there's a lot harder things to go through than being in quarantine with your kids. I'm talking to me because that's really hard. <laughs> there's a lot harder things than struggling financially. There's a lot harder things than a flat tire on a July day. And that is awful. There's a lot harder things to go through than somebody said something mean about you. While sure, like those things can help you grow, there's a lot harder trials than that. And I think sometimes we get um, entitled and we get like in this little bless me camp and if anything bad happens to me, even if I get a flat tire, like we like, God, I can't believe that you let this happen to me. It's a flat tire, just change it. <laughs> or call your husband and have him come change it. <laughs> but I think what Paul's really talking about is hurt, deep hurt. I mean like real hurt. Rejection, persecution. And again, like real persecution. Real persecution, not like they said something bad about me because I'm a Christian. I love you, but we need, like, we got to toughen up a little bit. Like, that's not real persecution. Real persecution is getting run over by a steamroller. Real persecution was, <laughs> was Thomas in India getting ripped apart by horses. That's real persecution. Not because somebody disagrees with my opinion. It's so weird we come unraveled because somebody disagrees with us. This, that's not, someone disagreeing with you isn't persecution. And Paul went through a lot of hard things. You read the book of Acts and Paul went through it. He lived a very hard life. But we see our problems and trials, if we can see them with joy, they'll produce endurance, he says, perseverance, and endurance produces strong character, and strong character produces hope. <laughs> Produce endurance. We're able to endure more and more and more as they come. It grows us. You know, runners, athletes, bodybuilders, whatever, they have to stress their body in order for them to grow. If you work out, you have to tear your muscles in order for them to grow back stronger. And, str and trials can stress us. They can stretch us a little bit, but it causes us to grow. They cause us to lean on him and he comes and he grows and develops us. And we, we develop, once we, when we get that endurance, we develop strong character when we respond the right way, which gives us hope because we're being transformed into the image of Christ. Trials lead to endurance. Endurance leads to character. Character leads to hope. That's God's pattern for it. 
It's his plan. <laughs> this is how he brings us into maturity. I wish it was another way, but it's not. This is how he brings us into, into maturity. He didn't say it was going to be like cupcakes, rainbows, and butterflies. <laughs> Romans eight seventeen says that we get to share in his glory if we're willing to share in his suffering. And you can get to a place, man, when Peter and John were preaching and in the book of Acts, they took them out and they flogged them. They put them on the steps of the temple, temple and they beat them with big canes. And you know what Peter and John did when they got back to their group, when they got back to the church, when they got back to the rest of the apostles? They rejoiced. They were like, we got to go through this for him. Because look what he went through for us. And you think like, man, that's impossible. There's no way that I can get there. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit will get you to that place. Holy Spirit will get you to that place where you can rejoice in persecution. Where you can rejoice in trials. You can rejoice in problems knowing God is going to do a great work in me. Number four, (laughs) I'm only going to get through verse five. It's y'all's fault. Y'all slowed me down. I don't know what to do. Number four fruit of justification is hope of glory. Hope of glory. Let me say this. It isn't hope of glory just when we die. It's hope of glory in this present life. It's both. It's hope of glory now and it's hope of glory in the future. We have inherited a glory now. There's also a glory to come. There's a future glory that, yes, it's like, it's unfathomable. Fathomable? Whatever. You know what I mean. It's amazing. But the, the, the doctrine of salvation is justification, sanctification, and glorification. And all... Three of those are all tenses. Like you were justified, you're being justified, and you will be justified. You were sanctified, you're being sanctified, you're going to be sanctified. You were glorified, you're being glorified, you will be glorified. Covers your past, it's right now in the present, and man in the future it's going to be awesome. But it also can be awesome right now. It's going to be better. I get that. Yes, it's going to be incredible. When the kingdoms of this world become the kingdoms of our God and his Christ, it's going to be awesome. When heaven and earth become one, you read Revelation 20, 21 and 22, like, wow, like it's going to be awesome. But your life can be awesome right now. Eternal life starts right now. Eternal life is Jesus. Eternal life is knowing Christ. Is it also heaven? Yes, but wherever Jesus is, that's where heaven is to me. If you, re- if you read through the New Testament, when the apostles, when, when especially Paul and Peter, when they were talking about going on to be in, they didn't say heaven, they talked about going on to be with Jesus because he is heaven. He's the king, and wherever the king is, that's where the kingdom is. Woo! Three of you like that. <laughs> Second Corinthians Chapter three, verse 18 says that God is taking us, that he's transforming us from glory to glory. What does that mean? That we are being transformed into the image of Christ Jesus. Remember, 
from my lesson a couple weeks ago in chapter three, we talked about what is the glory of God because we all fall short of the glory of God. The glory of God is that St. Irenaeus said is man fully alive. How does man become fully alive? He surrendered to Jesus because Christ came to give you what? Life and life more abundantly. So how do you become fully alive? Where every part of your life is surrendered to Christ and glorifies him. And you know what happens when every part of your life is surrendered to Christ and glorified him? Guess what you get to share in? Glory. Glory, well, I don't know about that, partner. All glory goes to God. Yes, and <laughs> Romans eight seventeen says that we are Together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. We will share in his glory. Colossians 3, 4, as Christ himself is seen for who he really is, who you really are will also be revealed for you are now one with him in his glory. You are now one with him in his glory. John seventeen twenty two. Jesus is praying to the father. Maybe the most important chapter in all of scripture, John 17. I have given them the glory you gave me. So they may be as may be one as you and I are one. Woo! Come on. John ten ten, I have come to give you life and give it to you more abundantly. But the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. What is the devil always after? The glory of God. It's what caused him to fall from heaven. He wanted to be like God. He wanted glory for himself. And so he got, he got kicked out of heaven for it. Do you know what he's trying to do? He's trying to steal your identity. He's trying to kill you. He's trying to destroy you. He's trying to cause you to become hopeless. But we have a hope of glory. It's funny. The devil wanted to be like God and God created us in his likeness. In heaven, Lucifer, Satan, Archangel, probably billions of angels underneath him. He was in charge of worship in heaven. It says that when he moved, like orchestras played. It's incredible. Not only were you made in God's likeness, but you also were made to replace, you were also made to replace the devil. You were also given his job, worship. That's why he hates you so much. Chris Valentin says that the devil wasn't put on this earth to torture you. You were put on this earth to torture the devil. That's why he hates you so much, right? I didn't say it, it was Chris. If the glory of God is man fully alive and the purpose, the Westminster Catechism says the purpose of God is to enjoy God and to glorify him always. We become fully alive by giving God glory with our whole lives. In doing so, we get enveloped into his glory and we get restored to our original image. One looking like Christ and not like fallen Adam, which Paul will get into in the end of this chapter. We become glorious sons and daughters that God originally intended for us to be. And we begin to reign and rule on this earth like Adam and Eve were meant to do because Jesus came to restore that which was lost. Adam and Eve turned over their dominion. They turned over their authority to the devil. Christ came and took that back. And then with his authority, he sends us out. We begin to walk by faith. When, when we begin to walk by faith and power and authority, uh, the power and authority that we need to build the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Colossians 1.27 says that Christ in you is the hope of glory. 
So if you don't believe that, maybe you need to get in touch with the Christ in you. His presence is in you. All right, number five. I'm already out of time, so we'll end with this one. We'll have to do six through 11 next week. Number five is we have access to him. This is the most important one. The one from which all the other ones flow. Access to him. We now have permanent access into the presence of God. We weren't just reconciled, but we were invited to stay. Yes, we are now friends, but he wants us to stay in the house. It wasn't just an interview. It wasn't just a one-time combo. It was an invitation to come into the Father's house and stay forever. What is the invitation in John 15? Remain. Remain in me. Abide in me. We have access to him. We have access to the Father who's always available, always kind, always good. You have a father who's never too busy, who's not in another meeting, who's not on the phone with somebody. He's always ready to talk, to listen, and to love. He's always there. You always have access to him. Any time of the day or night, you always have access to God because of the blood of Jesus. Because of the cross, you can always go straight into the throne room of grace. Uh, A lot of people get mad at me or Paul or Tim because they don't feel like they have the access to us that they want. They get offended and leave our church because, you know, we didn't meet with them anytime they wanted to. You don't need access to me. You have access to the Father. Your parents get mad at me because I don't fix their teenager. Their teenager came to youth group one time. But it's my fault. (laughs) They get mad at me because I don't spend night and day with them. People get offended and leave because I don't say hi to them at church. (laughs) Now, I got four kids. On a Sunday morning, if you ever see me, like I, my eyes are down, like looking for them. They're seven to zero. So I'm carrying one and I'm looking for the other three, right? And then Judah's like climbing up the scaffolding, hanging on the projector. And I'm like, what are you doing? Right? So <laughs> uh, I got four excuses to not say hi to you. Now, I don't know what Paul and Tim's excuses are, but I got, I got four, four of them. So, <laughs> and, and. And my call on my life is to disciple my kids first and foremost. I love your kids and I want to disciple them. Send them to youth group. Make them come. Make them mad. Send them angry because the love of God will make them not angry anymore. Because the presence will be there, I promise you. (laughs) I don't know if I should have said that, but it felt good to say. You need access to God. You need to get close to him, not people. Hebrews 4.16 says that we can boldly come to the throne room of grace so that we can find help in time of need. We have direct access to the God of the universe all the time. Don't settle for once or twice a week at church. Don't settle to sit 40 rows back and watch a guy who's had an encounter with the Lord. Don't settle for that. That's not what you were called to do. You are called to -to face-to-face communion with the Father in heaven. The evidence of these five things is found in verse five. It says, the evidence of hope is the love of God being poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. We have hope because the Holy Spirit, most translations say, pours the love of God into us. It's not a trickle, it's a pour. King James Version says that the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. 
So it's not like a little bit of love. It's a lot of love. And every Christian that's truly been justified, everyone who has really put their faith in Christ has experienced the love of God on the inside of them. And if you're not experiencing it at the moment, here's what I want to encourage you to do. Position yourself under the waterfall because it's there. Ephesians 5.18 says to be constantly, continually filled with the Holy Ghost. It's not a filled one time. It's I constantly stay in his presence. Well, how do I stay in his presence? First of all, find a place in your house, a closet, your bedroom, somewhere. Get on your knees and say, God, give me your love. Lord, I need you. Lord, I set myself here for a waterfall to come on the inside of me. And position yourself there. Whatever it takes, turn your favorite worship music on. But you've got to pray. You've got to talk to him. You've got to listen to him. As you're driving to work, make it, Paul says, pray without ceasing. You've got to make it a continual thing while you're driving to work, while you're at your desk. I pray in the spirit all the time. I'm not bragging on myself. I'm just letting you know, I experience the outpouring of the love of God because I'm constantly praying in the spirit to my father. Always. Do I always feel like it? No, especially before I have had coffee in the morning. (laughs) And some kid has peed in their bed or pooped in their pants before I'm trying to walk out the door to go to work too. So it's just start off the day with a bang. Lord Jesus, I need you. Be continually filled with the spirit. It's continual. This love that he wants to pour out to us, it's an everyday kind of love. Every morning, every evening, every moment. We are way out of time. Y'all stand with me. I know, I know I said some, I know I said some things tonight in a hard way. I, I, I'm not trying to condemn anybody. I'm not trying to come down on anybody. I don't want to, I'm never trying to purposely offend anybody. Um, but I want you to know these things that I'm talking about. Like I believe they're true because my life is a testimony. Sarah, my wife's life is a testimony of these things. And I promise you that if you'll go after him in the secret place, like I don't really know what that means. Just go after him. Just pursue him. Just talk to him more and more and more. And I promise you, it will blow you away. The love of God is unlike anything. It's unlike anything. You think about the cost that Jesus paid on the cross, but think about the cost that the father paid to send his one and only son for us because he wanted us to be in his family. Well, man, I don't know about that. You know, people in the church have hurt me and they've wronged me and all that. I'm not talking about people in the church. I'm not talking about people. People are, yes, people are, we're fallen. They're hypocritical and they're mean. <laughs> they're, we can get very religious. Don't ever put people's face on God. Don't put your dad's face on God, your mom's face on God, your pastor's face on God. None of those people are God. Get in this word. Get in this word. Just read Luke 15 over and over and over and over again. And God will come after you, I promise. You ain't got to be perfect. Nobody's asking you to be perfect. Jesus was perfect for you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much. We thank you for all your blessings, God. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your joy your unexplainable joy, God. We thank you for your peace that passes all understanding. We thank you for your word 
that continuously pours life into us, God. Don't let us become numb to these incredible words that you wrote through men, God, that you came and you, you basically possessed them with the Holy Ghost and you wrote these words, Lord, so that we could read them, so that we could know you and know your character, God. But don't let us stop with these words. Let us come after you, Lord, in prayer. Teach us to pray, God. The disciples ask you how, how to, do one, to teach them to do one thing. It wasn't miracles. It wasn't signs and wonders. It was, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. Jesus, even you and your short ministry, you spent more time running away from people to pray with the Father than you were in front of people. Teach us to be like that, God, that we would run away, to get away, to get alone with you, God. Holy Spirit, just pour out your love. Pour out your love, Lord, like you say that you do. Let it be shed abroad for all to see, God. Let us not... Let's not be a church that stays trapped in its own four walls, but Lord, let us go out into the world and shed your love abroad. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to die on the cross in our place, to take the punishment and the wrath that that we deserve, God. Thank you, Jesus, for paying the wages of sin for us with your death. And thank you for rising again, Lord, so that we too could have abundant resurrection life. We love you, God. We worship you. We honor you. We, Romans 5 says that we rejoice because of this great love. We rejoice. We worship because of this great love, this great friendship that we have with you, Lord. God, we thank you. May this not just be a moment in church, but may this propel us into a lifestyle before you. In Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, Amen and amen. God bless you guys. You have been listening to the CMC podcast. For more information about CMC, our different conferences, Christian school, college internship, resources, and more, go to cmchurch.com.